That's right, in the words of the Wallaby halfback Tate McDonough, it felt like Groundhog Day on Sunday. Bledisloe 3 is over, the series is over, and it was a whitewash. And you're listening to the Running Rugby podcast, and I'm looking at the depressed faces of my two um, co-hosts here, Leo and Toby. It didn't feel good watching that on Sunday, did it? It felt, it felt disheartening. Um, a little bit confusing, maybe some controversy early with this red card, but I'm sure we'll get into that too in a sec. But 3-0 down in Australia, in Perth, on Australian soil, we had such high hopes about getting some momentum back, but 38-21, to 21, and it didn't feel that close on the day. And once again, we don't like to hang on the negatives, but aside from a few glimmers of of um opportunity like this just felt yeah very groundhog day very much uh the same types of basic errors um same type of low percentage plays where we threw ball away and and just a team that spent now a lot of time in camp and and has you know the, the position have changed a bit but we've really been with this group for a couple of years and things just don't seem to be gelling um, for 80 minutes, even for 40 minutes, and it's just not good enough. It's it is it's frustrating, and and hearing Tate say, or was it that they're just not doing what they say they're going to do? Like that's that you can talk a lot, but you can. That's right. Can, Each week we're coming out and saying what we need to do the next week, but then if you don't no do it, it on the field, that's right. So what what gets them to do nothing. that? Is it it's got to be some sort of um, you know it's your mental strength to to stay focused on on your targets, on your goals and to, to execute and push that a little bit harder and make sure you do what you know you need to do. Well, the media over here across the ditch is saying, because um, the word is we all know Rennie's a great coach, but does he have the players with the skill to execute the game that he's trying to get them to play? Well, we had the same problem under Michael Checker, that our skills weren't up to standard to execute that ball in hand, high, you know, high tempo running rugby that we wanted to play. And he was heavily criticised for only having one game plan and not having the players to actually pull it off. And now it's, it seems like history is repeating itself. This team's still in a lot of parts, pretty young and inexperienced, and it's going to need more time. The problem is Wallabies is the premium product of rugby in Australia and if they're not successful, if they're not winning games, then people start switching off and people lose interest. And so Rugby Australia is in a very difficult position of wanting to be patient, but also wanting some sort of results at the moment early on 
in Rennie's career because otherwise they lose sponsorship, you know, corporates turn away and crowds turn away. You've seen what Sydney crowds do. I'm kind of glad it's been played in Perth and Queensland this year because the crowds are a lot more loyal to live sport and rugby particularly. Um, so I think that's a blessing that these games are being played in Queensland because I think we'll still get pretty good crowds. But the ultimate bottom line is the Wallabies need to perform and improve for people to keep the faith. Um, I think that's it's pretty simple. We've got to see steady improvement. And at the moment, if we're repeating the same mistakes, that's exactly what you don't want to see. And, and things like stuff we've mentioned before it's awful to sound um like a broken record but it still gets me how many of our first phase set piece plays we just butcher and it's i mean you could you could say the all blacks uh, um have a have a plan for our line out first phase for our scrum first phase and maybe they're executing it well and maybe it just happens to um jigsaw perfectly as the as the perfect reaction to our attack but I think on the weekend in the first half, twice, we couldn't even get the ball from the half back to the next player. There was someone interfering. There was someone coming through and, and um, deflecting the ball, um, tackling the sort of the player as they caught it. It's just, it's embarrassing. Like you, you can train those types of plays on the practice pitch, unopposed and with opposition. You can start as deep as you want. You know exactly what you're trying to do. And yet, we can't even just deliver the ball to that first phase runner and set up the platform, start soaking in the de- sucking in the defense and, and look to exploit. Like that's, that's hopeless. That's really, really bad. It even, even it was starting earlier than that. Like from the very first line out throw, we lost our ball first line out of the game. Flowering is back in this team and immediately we lose um, the line out throw. And there were several errant throws in this game as well. Yeah. Um, with Scrum, we seem to be able to maintain some dominance at times and milk ourselves some penalties, but it still doesn't feel like we're dominant in that set piece at all, which is it too much to say that we should be able to find some dominance in one of those in one of those parts? Like we should have the personnel to dominate the All Blacks consistently in the Scrum and not only just um, milk penalties, but just have clean ball. It always feels like we're under pressure getting our ball out from the Scrum even. I think scrum more than line out like the all blacks have in strength in numbers, what we lack at the moment, which certainly is, is the locks. Um, we, we've got some, some young locks who are um, brimming with potential, but they're not, they're not as seasoned and, and, and there's a unit that whole forward pack haven't played enough together that all the lifters and jumpers and throw, and it's not all in sync yet. Um, so I don't, I don't expect that we can compete with them or the Springboks necessarily, even the Argentinians consistently uh, at lineouts. But scrums, it's you know, there's still a lot of technique and dark arts in there. But we have guys in the front row who are strong, um, who can stand up to the the muscle of the opposition. And and you're right, you should be able to just uh, Wallabies team with that with that level of of individual skills should be able to group up and and hold a scrum, even if you're not winning the the push or winning the hit and, and pushing the other team back when you get your ball. You should be able to just hold. Like 
you would expect that we can at least coach our guys to do that much. Yeah, I think that's right. Like if we can just match them and not have these silly errors get penalised in the set piece, like line-out's been more of a problem than the scrum. You know, if you look beyond that, the ruck, I think we've improved in terms of actually retaining our ball. Um, there's been years gone by where we're just consistently losing ruck ball. Um, I think we've actually tidied that up a little bit and we have a little bit more, um, I don't know, urgency to get there and seal things off. So that's been an improvement. But just turning over the ball in general play, passes going, you know, intercepts as we've seen, just drop ball and not reacting to when there's a mistake quickly enough. Because the, the All Blacks are just the king of counterattack. Yeah. We never seem to learn that every time we do make a mistake, we need to just be right, you know, they're adjusting to it because we know they're going to try and go length of the field straight away. We're under no illusions they're going to try and do that. So we need to be better at actually stopping it. And it's not even in defence when we turn over the ball. I don't feel like we're on site quick enough when the All Blacks turn over the ball as well. Like we don't seem to be looking for those gaps. We seem very eager to put the ball to boot um, all too quickly in some of those situations. When you have sort of these dynamic players in your back line, um, we'll talk about having Simon Karevi back in a sec, but people like Marika and things like, you want to get them in space. You can see how dangerous some of these players for the All Blacks are when you put someone like Rico or either Yuani, it seems at the moment, in a little bit of space, they can tear it up. They can beat people. They can make huge breaks. And so that's what you want to do for your X-Factor players on your own team. Yeah, like we've got some some decent athletes who who can jump and, and try and um, sort of take a high cross-kick cross ball. Like we've seen our guys do that, but I don't think it's a strength enough that it should be a cornerstone of the attack. And what we you don't doing, have Israel Folau anymore to do that. Like, yeah, that's right. Possible. It's still a viable tactic, though. And I mean, you bring in we 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 have a breadth of of talent guys who've maybe played some AFL on some league where that type of um, you know contest is really common, like pretty frequently in those contests all game. Um, so bringing that into rugby is great because you see how clean it can be when a Patea comes in on the right line or a Folau used to do it, but. You, it's a contest. You've made it into maybe a 50-50 contest, maybe a 65-35 contest if you've got a really dominant player. Whereas ball in hand is is still, it should still be king because as we said, the contest of tackling Samu Karevi one-on-one or Marika one-on-one when he's in space and you've got what is essentially a stressed back line, like not mentally stressed, but like, you know, stressed in the sense that they're outnumbered and they've got to make decisions that is always going to make ground. And if you've got advantage, we've said it uh, at other times when the forwards have just gone into a bit of a phase play grind, we've made ground and we've looked all right. And as long as we've retained possession, like we've been moving forward. So that uh, the, the willingness to go to boot or to try something a bit more exotic so early, it just feels, and, and if you're making or contest, you're offering possession back to the other team. And on top of that, you're offering them possession, which if they secure the ball, they're suddenly running through a flock of 15 guys that are all over the place, not in a line. We haven't got a consistent chase. 
and they just slice us up because they're so good at supporting one another with three, four, five guys in tow. So let's step back for a minute because um, there's lots of stuff we can talk about in this game. I mean, we did have some good defence early on. The All Blacks didn't look like they were breaking through, even having sort of a few phases on our line or five metres out, having driving malls, Darcy Swain disrupted those um, and forced them to take a couple of penalties early. Um, we got to the stage where we got to 20 minute, 28 minutes in and we saw this red card from Geordie Barrett. Guys, everyone was blowing up um, on the New Zealand commentary about this. Lots of people were blowing up in New Zealand about this. At, on your first sort of thought, looking at what happened, Geordie going up for this kick, um, knee up initially, then boot up, connects with Marika's face um, in the eye. What was your thought? Was it penalty? Was it nothing? Was it yellow, red card? What? Look, I think the unfortunate thing for, for Geordie was his knee going up and, and kind of, you know, the initial movement was fine, but he put his boot towards his face. I think it was a, it was a reaction to protect himself. I don't think he wanted to actually fully kick him in the head or anything, but in doing that, that extra movement, I think for me brought it into yellow card territory. I really think that red card is excessive for that particular action. Um, we've seen it in Super Rugby, I think, with one of the wingers for the Highlanders. To be the lead, I believe, against which was um, a, Cam Clark back in the semifinals yeah. a few years ago. A lot more of an active kick in that one. Geordie's was more protective than anything, and it was, an, I think, not malicious at all. In an in innocent mistake on his part. Though you've got to think that because of the 20-minute rule with the red card, I think referees are just more willing to pull it out at times like this. Um, if the 20-minute rule wasn't actually active for this game, not sure we would have seen the same result. I think that's fair enough because, yeah, it, we at a high level, you want to discourage anything that's dangerous. So everyone, while playing the game within the rules, has a um, responsibility to protect other players from these like potentially serious injuries um you know aside from just the brutal physical contact they get in, in tackles rucks malls etc like you've got to do everything you can not to put a, you know make the potential really extreme and you're right that geordie's the movement when, when you go up and you, you're a bit off balance if you're leaning back the natural um reaction of your body is to extend something out in front to try and counter that sort of rotation backwards and he did that when he raised his knee and then the fact that his knee hinged and brought his foot up as a separate motion definitely looked more it brought it into questionable territory of was that deliberate was it just a a later instinctive move um what also probably came into it was that marika stopped so he he was very conscious of being too close and he didn't like go charging in and just cop the foot. He he was charging forward, and then he 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 timed his movement so that he wasn't going to take the player in the air. And then the foots come to him, so that may again makes it look a lot much a lot more like Geordie um, striking out. And we also saw this stuff in league. Like I think it was Billy Slater did this a few times, and it was it was kind of passed off as oh, it's, you know, he's he's 
trying to maintain his position and, and make sure he doesn't fall backwards. And, and that's just a, it's just a counterbalancing type movement. And then it, you know, it happened multiple times. I said, okay, well you, you can't do that. And he started getting in trouble for it. And we're already at that point there. They're going to use the tools they have and the tools don't wreck the game anymore, which is good, but they can make their point about dangerous play by using them. Yeah. And I think like, this was a point that, Justin Marshall was bringing up in the commentary over here, but, oh, no, like, there was definitely no intent there, so it can't be a red. And remember that we have to remember that intent is not part of this rule anymore. It's about putting other players in danger. And I think for a long time, kickers were taught to jump up and either put your knees or your legs up because it does help protect you by Mm. keeping players away from you because they're not going to run straight into your knees um, if they can help it sort of thing. So I think that it, I think people are talking a lot about it being a reflex action. I think you do have to realize that these guys are taught what to do when they jump up in the air and do this. They practice doing it. And it's something that probably has been taught to them, but they need to now make a conscious effort not to do that and re-teach themselves that, yes, you can put up your knees, but putting your feet forward um, into oncoming players is just not on. So for me, it was a red straight from the bat. I just didn't think there was ever going to be another option from there. Even if the 20-minute rule wasn't in effect, I think it would have been a red. Um, I think it makes it feel a lot more fair that the 20-minute rule is um, is what the red card is now for these games. And I think that's a good change that we've made because you're going to see more red cards. Yeah, I probably danced around. I, I do think in hindsight, definitely it's a red. In the game, I was a bit surprised, but perhaps I hadn't... Um, sort of thought through it as much. It didn't look like much, but you're right. It's, it's not about intent. It's about potential, which is what we've always thought really strongly it should be because players can't uh, expect that they can do something which has the potential to really harm a player. And based on the outcome, oh, Marika's fine. He played on. This shouldn't be anything. Well, that's not the point. It You know, if it's, you know, inches different, that stud is in his eye or you know, catches catches part of his face and, you know, tears, tears him open. Um, and it's luck that that didn't happen, that it didn't turn into a more um, severe injury. So you definitely do it on potential. It should be read because we don't want people doing that and it needs to be made firmly as a point that it's unacceptable. And Geordie has gone in front of the disciplinary board and they have not added any further suspension um to this which i think is probably the right move as well i don't think it was anything that deserves a prolonged suspension for three games or anything but he deserved to miss the rest of that game moving on from that guys standouts from the all blacks team i mean we saw Bowden coming in at 10 it was his chance to prove himself um not the hottest game off the kicking tee uh but still having a few sparks of magic including setting up that first try with those little grubbers behind the line, um, which gave Geordie his sort of um, five-pointer before uh, he left the field. Um, Solid game from him, impressive. Anything to think that he's going to challenge Richie in this one? I don't think so. I I mean, honestly, it could come down to the kicking. If he he doesn't um, perform in the kicking and all other things are even, um, that's that's a reason to pick Richie over him, but I think there's more than that. That that first little kick through was one of their only pure um, sort of attacking phase play successes through the Wallabies' defence. Like a lot of their attack was counter 
Um, this was this was them just building and seeing an opportunity and executing really well. That's great. Richie does that sort of stuff regularly too. Um, I don't think it was a. I don't think it's a game where I sort of finished up and went, "Wow, you know, Bowden's really, really good." He was a he was a a significant player in a good team performance, and I don't think he stood out to me. The the man of the match, um, Akira Iwani, was the one who stood out to me. He's risen to his potential, and he's he's taken his opportunity with the All Blacks with two hands. He looked awesome in this game. Was ranging out wide, beating one on one tackles, setting up other players. You know, that's that's our Harry Wilson to me. I feel like he's our our guy who could be like Akira Iwani, just a, lo- a loose forward breaking out in different parts of the field um, with a set of ball ball handling skills to to rival most other back rowers. Yeah, probably underwhelming to the standards of Bowden Barrett, but we have to take into consideration the time he's been out of that starting position for the All Blacks. And Richie's barely put a a foot wrong in his absence. So it's going to be difficult for him to, I think, in the short term at the moment with the form that Richie's shown consistently over the last couple of years, I think it's going to be difficult for Bowden to displace him. Though... The fullback position is still a little bit open, I think, from an all-black perspective. So Geordie, I think, has the potential to have these howling or howlers, these games where he doesn't quite come up to standard. And, yeah, this red card was unfortunate. But I think it's an example of where Geordie can be a liability in some respects. Damian McKenzie has been pretty solid this year. But I think there's still probably, you know, an option for the All Blacks to go back to the Bowden Barrett experiment at number 15 if they're very desperate to get him back into the team. But equally off the bench, I mean, what an asset to have coming on to fill in for for um, for Richie. Um, and their depth is just superb, the All Blacks, in key positions. Mm-hmm. TJ Perinar, I think, was relatively impressive as well when he had his chance and you know it's just something that the wallabies have to be envious of because we've for playmaking stocks once jock goes down we're kind of stuck with noah who is i think the future but at the moment it might be a little bit too much for him to deal with given the pressure of the all blacks um so yeah the all blacks are, are pretty blessed to have that sort of depth at fly half yeah, sort of feels a little bit like in terms of the fullback chat that they might just be biding their time till Will Jordan emerges into proper sort of, I don't know, evolves into the full test fullback that he probably will be in the next few years and he may well take that mantle as the new young gun. The other player I thought that stood out in terms of um, the other Barrett that no one ever talks about, Scott Barrett, um, coming into the second row for Sam Whitelock, um, seemed to be all over it and such a pest. Um, to Tate McDermott in rucks and out of that line. I think that's what Leah was mentioning before him coming through the line out and making a menace of Tate McDermott before he could even pass the ball. Like he's just so onto it and he's so quick and dynamic in some of those movements. Looking at the Wallabies side, Toby, you just mentioned it. Noah, um, maybe a question whether he's up to it. Who made their case to maintain selection for next week? Because it's the Springboks we're coming up against too. It doesn't get any easier. Um, these are now the world number ones we're going to have to go against. And we've had two years sort of almost between playing them again. Um, 
who do you boys think? I'm not going to say deserves to be dropped because I think it's more on this stage the people that deserve to stay. I think there's two names. From my perspective, Tate McDermott was excellent again. And Samu Karevi made a huge difference to this team. Um, it's He's the ball-carrying centre, elite ball-carrying centre that we've been after and chasing since the 29 World Cup, 2019 World Cup, when he left and last played for the Wallabies. Um, look, you, you play someone like Matt Tamur in the centres at inside centre, you don't have anything close to what Samu showed. I'm excited to see him have a, an opportunity to play with Hunter Paisami. But really, I think outside that, there's a lot of positions up for grabs. Marika, again, I think was pretty good. Unlucky to be denied tries again. He seems to be a bit cursed at the moment. But Tate and Samu just stood out from the crowd um, for me. I like I like that call. Um, it's interesting because Nick White comes on and, and immediately looks energetic. And I feel like that's the same, whether it's Nick White, Tate, Tate, Nick White. Like I don't, I always feel like the guy coming off the bench really kind of looked and sparked things. But I think it's just that um, it's, it's both guys, nature and even Jake as well, um, coming on late and just being 100% um, sort of intensity against a, a backdrop of players who have dropped off a bit. I think it just stands out. So I'm, I'm happy to keep Tate. I think he's the future um, until he really looks out of his depth. I, I don't think you should drop him. The problem then becomes, though, because he's somewhat of a developing player, um, can you pair him with Noah longer term? Or have we, real, have we come to a point where we need to consider these guys together while they might be the future and they are both you know, huge potential and very valuable, we can't support both of them in the same lineup because the players around them don't lift enough to fill the void of, of whatever they're lacking. Like you don't have, until, until now we've got Karevi at 12, until he's developed a really um, cohesive combination with the guys around him, it's still a little bit disjointed. And maybe, you know, if, if James O'Connor's fit, I think we probably go to James O'Connor, um, particularly against the bigger South African sides, um, to stand up to that and and to just have a slightly more mature head, or I guess a much more mature head, but it's a, a slightly more nuanced um, uh, set of decision making, I suppose skills. Like he, he's going to see more of um, players that he's familiar with. He's not going to be surprised by as many guys. He's a bigger body. He's not going to get shaken up, knocked around. And he just takes a little bit of pressure off um, Samu. But again, they've they've played together. They've played in the centres together two years ago. So they've, they've got that combination of, you know, knowing each other and playing side by side already. Um, and and it gives Tate that little bit of support too. That would probably be a, a, a preference for me. Beyond that, um, at outside centre, I really like Iki Tao. Um, I want to see more of him. And I think we haven't seen him really reach his... Um, line busting potential because our play in in general has been pretty ordinary um there was a real disconnect on the weekend between what felt like the 12 to 13 kind of gap in the back line whether it was actually him and samu or whether it was you know swinton or other people standing wide guys out at about that 13 position and, and further wide were so far away from the action and so 
uh, they just lacked the energy when the ball was coming out to them. It's just kind of plodding. Um, they were basically wasted. And that's why I think we had a lot of turnover ball in our rucks. The All Blacks were just onto everything. We didn't have good, clean, precise cleanouts. Those guys were just too far from the action. So our 13 really needs to connect those guys and be really vocal. Um, and that's probably Banks too. That There needs to be more communication there. Is that Hunter? Is it Icky Tau? You know, it's probably someone with the maturity of Hodge, but I don't want to go there either. So I would like them to keep going with Icky Tau, um, Hunter, Hunter potentially, but, you know, maybe Icky Tau is more match fit now that Hunter's had a bit of time away from the group. Um, I probably don't mind either way. I think um, that's one I'm, I'm willing to continue as a development position uh, if I've got 10 and 12 sorted with a couple of veterans. And then into the forwards, you have to say Lockie Swinton wasn't really is anything near his damaging best in this game. And Harry Wilson's got to come back in. You've got to really look at Nicerani as well. Um, those guys are big physical guys that, um, you know, should be pushing Valentini for a starting spot. And yeah, I just, I think again, I made the point before this game that Swinton just tends to lack leg drive. He'll get tackled not really make those after contact meters that you need. And they're, they're, they're the meters that Nasarani exceeds in. He'll just carry the ball an extra 10 meters, you know. Swinton's just not a thrashing runner. He doesn't shake he's, anyone he's off. Top, he's top heavy in the way he's built. So he can smash people in defense. But for his frame, I don't think his legs are particularly strong. So he's carrying it at a height where you just chop him down and he doesn't have the strength in his legs to carry him forward any further. Harry Wilson, I think, is more of a bullocking runner, like, say, David Lyons used to be for the, for the Waratahs and Wallabies. So I think that's someone we could use as well. I think Nicerani, Wilson and Valentini need to make up two out of the three positions in the back row. Hooper, again, was getting absolutely battered in this game. Um, he's taken some real punishment lately. It might get to a point where we need to start someone like Fraser against the Pumas or something just to give Hoops a rest. But it doesn't get any easier against the Springboks. It's the problem. If anything, it gets more physical, it gets more difficult in defence. So then, you, you know, Rennie might be tempted to keep picking someone like Swinton, who that's his forte to impose himself on the game defensively rather than offensively. Um, just the don't other know two we've guys seen that, that we've mentioned. Well, not to the extent that we had seen it perhaps last year or the year before yeah, when he came onto the like, scene. And maybe people have worked him out slightly if they see him in their eyes, like eyeline, that they're kind of dealing with it. They're not blind to the fact that he's going to really have a go at them. Um, but, yeah, I agree. He's lost some of his sting. Again, I see Taniella coming on and just the lack of impact. that Like, it's dramatically shifted in his performance i think just not having the game time and now i think we're going to be forced to actually starting him because alalatoa is back off to canberra so taniella is going to be you know more more likely than not probably playing 60 70 minutes and is he up to it now not sure after a queensland red season when he was playing 90 quite often now it's like sorry not 90 80 minutes now it's actually getting quite difficult for him, I think, to, to push through maybe to the 60-minute mark of a game. Mm. Um, so there's some real concerns. And 
I think we've questioned some of the selections of Dave Rennie. Like we have um, criticised some of those key selections. I think Faenga was a criticism and it really didn't probably come off. He scored a try, which he is so good at doing. Um, but there were other errors in his game that just wasn't up to standard from an international hooker's point of view. You highlighted it there, um, Ala Latella going back to Canberra again for the birth of a child. I, I don't know what has happened in 2020, but everyone apparently... COVID babies. Christmas, New Year's parties. That's it. No one was on spring tour, so apparently everyone was having um, getting pregnant. Uh, so Greg Holmes, we see recalled to the squad uh, as part of probably partly because we are a bit restricted on who we can bring in with obviously people from New South Wales um, and ACT and Victoria not really able to join the squad. Um, so Greg Holmes already being over there in WA uh, got the call to first off help with a little bit of coaching and then ask if he could stick around with the squad and um, join the squad for the next couple of weeks as well. So he said Taniella. I think James Slipper did enough still. He's still obviously got enough in the tank and enough technique to hassle people, even in um, that sort of close play around rucks, he seems to still be able to make an impact. Um, I still want to see uh, a call for Kaitu to come on. I don't think you want to be playing um, Nos Lonigan against the Springboks. Uh, Falau Fainga didn't do a huge amount for me. I don't know whether you completely drop him out of the 23 straight away, but I wouldn't be disappointed to see BPA with Kaitu on the bench this week. Um, Rodder is the big question. Did he do enough coming off the bench here to warrant a selection or a, or a trial in, in that starting four or five jersey? I don't know if he did enough as a, like he didn't stand out to me. I noticed him when he was on and I was kind of observant without being particularly impressed, but Matt Phillip He's gone. Uh, has been very hot and cold and he is... <laughs> Like it's it's tough because he threw the pass that got intercepted, right? So it's 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 difficult to expect when you've got the guys in the back line that you know they're going through that that you know that phase and they're they're doing what they are expected to be doing. But are you setting them up to fail? I guess is where I'm trying to get at. Like we we don't have the finesse in those forwards to be doing a lot of that type of ball play and it's so isolated when it's out in the middle of a, of a, of a backline move like that. Like it's just easy pickings for a team like the all blacks, you've got to take certain risks out of your game. And, and that feels like one that we, we shouldn't be exposing ourselves to, to intercepts from. Um, so, you know, not ideal. He, he looked, he looked a bit goofy and, but I think, I think, you know, he's, he's probably, if anything, he's done himself out of his starting role rather than Rodder winning it. If Rodder's been training the house down, we know he's a, you know, he's former Wallabies starter and, you know, one of these kind of almost backup captains in a pinch type, type players. Like he was a leader before he left uh, in the way he did. He was a senior player at the Reds and, and was becoming a senior player in the Wallabies, um, you know, senior top five type thing. So, it wouldn't surprise me if we see him come in. It's just whether it, they think he's match fit and he's still that aggressive, hard nose. Uh, because him and Darcy Swain, like that, that gets me a bit more excited than than Matt Phillip and Darcy Swain. Matt Phillip doesn't feel like 
a, a big enough presence to support Darcy Swain, who has his amazing moments, like in those malls we already mentioned. Um, you need some strong players that will shoulder, you know, 10% more so that you can bring on these younger guys who aren't quite at the same level as their opposition, but they bring that little bit of spark that can change a game. Um, I feel like Rodder could be that guy, but I don't think we can tell from what we saw on the weekend. I think it'll be visible in training. It'll be visible to the coaches. I'm not sure he's there yet from what I saw. I think Lucan comes back in to the starting lineup, maybe with Swain, and then you have Rodder off the mm-hmm. bench. I, I don't see Philip getting away with that mistake. Um, I think he'll lose his spot in the 23. Whether that's justified or not for just that glaring error, he did some good things. Like he's quite smart around some of the ruck and more work he does. Um, you can see he's switched on. He does have a good rugby mind, but physically, is he quite up to the standard of guys like Barrett, you know, guys like Metallic? Yeah, a whole nother level, I think. He's not as quick and, and agile. And you're about guys. to put these guys up against the likes of Etzebeth, mm. Mostert, and Lou Diaga. Like, big, you need some big, big dudes. And I think Lou Khan and Rodda, if not Swain, I mean, Swain's. Phillips well, the biggest, I think he'll isn't he? Grow into, I think. Phillips the biggest frame. Weight wise. No, I think. Rodder might be I think Rodda would be the biggest. Is he? Okay. Swain well, looks like he can still got some kind of weight to put on. Um, given his age and his body shape. But I wouldn't be unhappy to see Rodder again off the bench to try and inject some more physicality when he comes on. Lucan was kind of the default pick, the first guy you'd be picking in the lock department anyway. Um, so I think he will probably get his starting role back. And, yeah, Darcy just... Darcy seems like someone you should persist with because he does have those kind of magic moments. And he's so close every time when he goes for a charge down on these box kicks. Like, you know, he he's probably got a quite a good rate of charge down if you look at it because he, he does tend to, if there's a charge down, it's him. Um, so I think persist with him. He's the future of our locking department. And, yeah, I think in the, like, if you look at it overall, this is where we really miss some really physical big guys like Will Skelton. We keep going back to that. I don't think he's going to be featuring for the Wallabies anytime soon, but it is a real shame when we've lost Coleman, Skelton, Arnold. Arnold. Yeah. yeah, when you look at the guys we've lost, battling. it's like Karevi. Like we yeah. had some elite potent, like elite physical um, like skill specimens and they're not in our within reach. So the All yeah. Blacks have those guys. Those guys come and they toil for the All Blacks for as many yeah. years as they're acquired, and then they they go and they make their money. And we've lost guys of that caliber through very you know, early a decade. on in their careers. Yeah, that's it. A decade of, of mismanagement at at super level and national level. Um, you know, mishandled these these players, and you just you just don't get that much raw talent available every every you know five to ten years. You just don't. It's just yeah. not always there. You'll lament and if that you, loss, absolutely. Well, yeah, if you if you it's such a big loss to not have had Will Skelton or or Coleman or uh, Arnold, like these guys that were Sean McMahon. Sean McMahon's I mean, another like one, great Liam example. Gill is a big like range again, it's, as well. It's like only half guys. a dozen guys, but it's no, it, no, but it is it is impactful. 
Unfortunately, that's, unfortunately right. that's where our depth is that those guys make a massive. It doesn't have to be a huge amount. Like all of all of our starters, if you said any of them were coming off the bench, you'd be pretty happy, really. Like that, if that's the bench guy, like the guy starting is better than that. Like that's that's great for sure. Like it's it's disappointing to think that we lost people who have gone away, been developed and supported in another environment, and you know become what they had the potential to become um why couldn't we have done that in australia for skelton why couldn't we have done that in australia for sean mcmahon it's not all just money it's some of its money but it's not all just money because the, the it's it's about you know community and about feeling like there's opportunity and and i guess ultimately the wallabies if they were a successful uh side over the last decade which they've been middling um, you know, that is so much more of a draw if you're going away on tour and you're getting three or four wins out of four and dominating teams and people are writing stories about you and saying how good you are. It's very different to being part of a team that just can't get it right. Mm. So um, it just starts at a level so far below Rennie and his guys, though. Like it's it's at starting at like schoolboy level and representative level in, in the underages and then through to super and through the wallabies like if we're not bringing that talent through now and we're losing it to other sports losing it overseas early what you're picking from is is not as elite as someone who has everyone in their country available and i think arch just just quickly i think this is going to force us into a position where we will open the floodgates to guys overseas in desperation to get as many as we can back for the international season for next year i'd say and then probably leading into 2023 as well. And then whether we revisit that rule after that period of time, I think that's probably the most likely thing that will happen. But given the results this year and with the box to come, it could get a lot worse. Um, and then we have to play some pretty decent teams on the spring tour as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's going to be announced after the rugby championship that all yeah. those guys will be eligible with no conditions. I think you break the glass. And you you go for everything you need to go for, leave no stone unturned. And I reckon you carry this through to 2027. That's that would be my advice because it's not going to be two years is going to change. You got to you got to get a winning team in place. You got to show show in the next couple of years that we're we're contesting with the best, and we're probably not going to win the 2023 World Cup at this rate, and we might not win a semi, and we might not uh, make a semi. But you've got to look like you're on the right trajectory. And then if 2027 is in Australia, if you can peak at that moment and then have built through, you know, lower levels for six, seven years from starting now to, to the point where you've got, you know, guys that are 13, 14 today are coming through with the right support and offering you plentiful options. And the national team is a serious, you know, seriously impressive unit. Then you've got the draw to keep guys in in this country or, or available yeah. for selection you can change and, the rules then when you're strong you don't want to well, tighten things up when you're weak you don't even have to change the rules you can just be you can just highlight to people that it's very unlikely for you to be um picked if you're overseas yeah if you're one of the top players in the world or you've been playing for us and we know who you are but you're not going to be able to go overseas and then come back to, to debut for the wallabies most likely like but i think that matters that matters to people if it's a successful team they want to be part well, of. Well, that's right. That's if it's an right. unsuccessful right. national I like, team, I, like I don't think that idea. I don't think that sells it to some people. Some people just yeah. won't care. They'll be like, "Yeah, but you guys are kind of average, and I can go over here and win club championships in Europe or Japan, make oodles of money, 
and be a winner yeah. all the time. And I don't need the national. I don't feel patriotic or whatever the word is. And I mean, it's it's unfortunate. It might be disappointing and sad to some people, but it's it's reality. Like, where do you where do you draw the line and say success at this level is good enough? And you could have a great time, a great career, playing eight to ten seasons between Europe and Japan, and being part of a successful side if you are a truly elite player. And leave the Wallabies behind. Just be like, well, you know, they're not that good, and I don't feel like I'm gonna drag them up like you've got to get that team successful to to be the draw card so players feel like they're missing out like oh you can win club championships in europe whatever can you beat everyone in the world like in the world cups are you really competitive at that level so being competitive getting these victories getting wins getting momentum comes back to this next week we've watched the Springboks play against the lions now against argentina we know what they're going to bring. They're going to bring a big aerial game. They're going to bring rush defensive lines. They're going to come out hard and try and stop us getting the ball wide. What tactics do the Wallabies need to look at employing this week to have success against the Springboks? Honestly, I, I'm lost in terms have- of what our strategy should be because Springboks almost equally as deadly from counter-attack. Very, very smart kicking game that they employ on teams. And honestly, I don't know if they need to be that clever against us to get a win. I think their physicality, their ability to force us to make errors and then capitalise on those errors might just be enough. Um, For us, I think we've just got to keep ball in hand, not necessarily kick away possession if we play kind of straight ahead simple footy do the simple things right muscle up as as well as we can in defense i think we've just got to really strip everything back and not doing it do anything fancy don't take any risks because the spring box will just be waiting for that um and i think that's that's a risk too like the counter attack of the spring box is is a bit different, but it's very potent, much like the All Blacks. It's hard to say don't take any risks because you've got to take some risks against the best teams because it's it's it, it will never be a simple game. But I agree that we should de-risk in certain areas, and I don't think we have the chops to to put up these crossfield bombs. And I, and I don't want to go back to a box kicking game, which is predicated on the person who's receiving the ball, your opposition making errors and you moving up the field that way. Cause I think the all blacks and the spring box are competent enough that they diffuse that. So you can't try and beat them at their own game in that sense, because they've got it under wraps. They, they recognize what they need to do and the way they ref, you know, players shepherding the, the chases off the, off the catcher. It's, it's not really worth it because you're not going to draw penalties most of the time. So direct keeping it, keeping it a bit narrow, and only really going expansive once you can see the opportunities there is big. Um, and another part of what we failed to do on the weekend was the support play around our runners. When we did make a break, when we did make some meters, we were so hopeless uh, at clearing out. We were so hopeless at targeting the correct player to to secure the ball, the, the, the correct player attacking and trying to pilfer. There was one... I'm trying to remember the play, but it was Iki Tao had the clear out and there were two of the All Blacks backs. I think ALB got the ball and Geordie might have been there or something. Mm-hmm. And ALB got around a leg of Geordie. And AL, sorry, 
Icky Tower got around the leg of Geordie and kind of walked around the ruck lifting Geordie. It wasn't really even achieving anything. And ALB just went straight over the ball and pinched it. And the move there, Icky Tower needed to be straight in, at least wrestling ALB. But if nothing else, just, just bridging up over the ball, like not leave, losing his feet, not sealing off type thing, just, just being over the ball. But he went for one of the two players that was around the ruck and not even the most uh, dangerous one. And if we're making poor decisions like that, the Springboks are the same. They pilfer from 1 to 15. They're, they're like Lacanio Arm and Dialende get on the ball and all their back row get on the ball. And if we're going to let them have their way at the ruck, it's going to be a bloody disaster. So having guys be more precise around the ruck and, again, it's not about contesting it. It might not even be about getting quick ball sometimes, unfortunately. It's about not losing the ball because it's the counterattack where we get turned around and we're all over the place and we have no instinct to fall into a good defensive structure in those moments and everyone just turns and jogs behind the ball and we concede tries. It's it's a big fault in our game and we need to focus on uh, maintaining the ball and not putting ourselves in that position. It might. I think it, it might be a case this week that we play. We t- we play take the three. We almost play like a South Africa, but instead of playing territory, kicking the ball away, we try and hold on to the ball as much as possible. Like I said, just play direct as possible, but don't draw them offside. Take penalties. <laughs> no fifty fifties. Um, Keep everything as simple as it can be. Take your points. Try and put pressure on them in defence and force them into being frustrated. No missed tackles. You know, minimise all that stuff. And maybe we have a chance if we can frustrate them enough. It just seems unlikely given how they've played recently, the level of talent they're carrying in that squad. Um, They've been able to rotate some guys recently as well. So everyone's going to be pretty fresh. And ready to go they've had last weekend off you know maybe quarantine plays a part in all this maybe it's going to be a little bit more difficult for them to adjust in Queensland but the morale in the, the Wallaby squad has got to be pretty low at the moment having you know maybe thought they had some hope of winning this Perth game at the moment there's going to be a slight panic I'd say around the camp and Rennie would be doing very well to be able to dispel that um, two games back-to-back against Springboks, that's really tough. I think the selections will help. If, if Imagine if you, you get Harry Wilson back, uh, maybe Nia Sarani comes in or you push Valentini to six. You've got Taniela starting, Lucan's back, maybe Paisami's back, Jock's back. Like You're talking about Queensland influx right now. Well, I mean, I'm, I mean, just that's what it happens to be. But those are the, those are the big names that weren't in this team. And I think you will feel very different. Um, just think about like Jock will be will have been around the squad, not fit, not fit, not fit, not fit. And then suddenly this guy who is elite is available and you go, oh, how good's that? Like nothing against Noah, but it's just so good to get Jock back. He's been around with us the whole time. We're all really happy that he gets to play again. Like he's, he's ready to go and he gets to be in this co- tough contest with it. Like the camaraderie from moments like that, I think, has a cumulative effect and will help um, as opposed to taking in almost the same side and feeling like, uh, so these are the same people and we're going to talk about what we're going to do better. And then like Tate said, we're not going to necessarily do it. That isn't going to lift spirits. I don't think so not change because we're dumping all the dead weight, 
but change to be bringing in guys who uh, have been waiting on their opportunity, haven't been fit, have been out and are coming back. I think that might add a spark. And and hopefully being back in Queensland where a lot of these particular guys are from or at least playing, like, you know, they'll be out, they'll they'll get some other people around them. They'll get they'll get some uh, local sporting starry type people will roll in. I don't know if the people like um get Kefu there. He'll inspire some confidence. Oh, if poor Kefu's out of his um ICU bed, but um, yeah, he's, he's back at home. He's yeah, right. like, but, but people it's... like that, they'll get people like that in around the change rooms and, and talking to guys and and you bring a few of these guys back. I think Jock is a key one. I, I would like to see him in for this test if he's fit. So we don't hear much week to week about how he's going and, and what his progress is, but I really hope that he's available. I think that'll make a big difference. One name we didn't mention, unfortunately, weren't see Vunivalu um, for the rest of the rugby championship. Another re-aggravation of that hamstring, it sounds like. Unfortunately, he will not get his chance to make his Wallabies debut. Too much power. Um, unfortunately, yeah. Um, the other game is obviously the All Blacks Argentina are playing this weekend. Does anyone have anything to say or will the All Blacks um, make up for last year's blip um, with the Pumas and um, come back hard and heavy and strong and make a real statement against these guys? I think they will for sure. I think that'll those score lines will be, you know, up on the wall, being pointed at, people reminding them how it felt. Um, and and they're they're in a, a vein of form. They've got the depth in the squad that they'll be able to field a strong side. And um, I think the Argentinians will be playing off against the Wallabies for avoiding the wooden spoon in this comp, unfortunately. Um, the Argentinians are a very dynamic side. They always have been. The you know they've got some talismanic players as well. Nick Sanchez and and Matera are just like those guys can create a lot of things and and they're elite players. Um, but there's only you know half a dozen of those in the in the Argentinian side. Um, the All Blacks have fifteen to twenty three of them. I think what's particularly relevant is the fact that this rugby championship could really come down to the wire. So I think the All Blacks will be looking to punish. Argentina get the bonus points, get the as as many margin points as you can. Yeah, because the Springboks could easily win both games against us, and then they'll be they'll be four and zero. And New Zealand will really have to be up to the, the standard to actually take out the rugby championship this year, um, which they'll be keen to do against the the current world champions. So, plenty of play for still. I expect the All Blacks to to put on a clinic. Um, really, I think regardless of who they put out for their starting 15, they'll be looking to run right. Absolutely. And, of course, that is the doubleheader coming to us from Seabell Super Stadium in the Gold Coast on Saturday night. So plenty to look forward to there. Um, only other thing I'm going to mention before we sign off is we did have the announcement of the World 12s, a new rugby tournament planning to kick off uh, next year around this time, August, September, um, which would be an IPL equivalent, um, 192 men's players from tier one and two nations selected um, and via auction put up to represent eight franchises um, to then play a round robin tournament ending with playoffs. Um, so high money value, dip different with 12 men aside, 
um, six forwards, six backs on the field, some slight different sort of rule changes erring towards sort of sevens mentality a little bit. Mixed receptions from the West, rest of the rugby world about this. Um, there's been plenty of talk about um, getting a sort of combined club competition across the world, a combined sort of um, rugby championship, Six Nations competition over the last few years. And now we're trying to put in a combined club uh, competition that sounds like it's going to try and fill the gap between what is normally sort of our rugby championship before the spring tour maybe um, and sort of take on the early parts of the season for the club um, teams in the Northern Hemisphere. So difficult to see. We'll obviously bring you more news about that as it unfolds, but just to keep you up with what's going on otherwise in the world of rugby. Boys, I know it's a tough subject to talk about. appreciate you spending the time going through those um, depressing stats and, and talking about how we can get better and how um, we should be running Australian rugby. Um, we keep saying it. We just got to hope that at some point someone up there is going to listen to us. Make sure you are checking us out on social media, on Instagram at Running Rugby Podcast or on Twitter at Running Rugby Pod and liking and subscribing to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Let's hope that it's not Groundhog's Day this weekend, boys. But we'll keep on running. Run. It was pretty classic. What an actor, Bill Murray, a legend. You know his brother's the mayor in that. It's the mayor. No. Oh, the dude, the, the fat kind of the, the guy fat. he saves by like, yeah, doing the Heimlich maneuver on. I did not know that was his brother. Yeah, it's his brother. I thought you were going to say the bald guy is. It's, like, <laughs> it's me, Phil. Fires. <laughs> 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 Watch that, Seth. It's a doozy. doozy. <laughs> Fuck you, Bill. Everyone knows that guy just from that movie. It's so funny. <laughs>